Hallow's Eve Tales is a Podzilla 1985 production. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised. The tricks and treats aren't over yet, kiddies. Back from the grave for more Twisted Terror. Here's KPDZ's own DJ Bad Kermit. The original Bad Kermit. Enjoying the frights and candy delights with all of you cool rockers on this warmer than normal Wednesday. We're heading towards the finish line for our annual Hollow's Eve Tales for 2021 here on KPDZ. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for sharing your spooky stories. We're just a week and a half away from the Big H itself. Halloween! All Hollow's Eve will soon be upon us, and you best believe your old pal Kermy can't wait to congregate with all the witches and ghouls in search of candy and a bottle of brew. After that, of course, is another of our favorite traditions here at the station, Toys for Tanner, where we invite all of our listeners to donate their old, unwanted toys so we can give them to Tanner, our friend here at the show, because he's poor. But hold the heart-wrenching tale of a man and his pet raccoon for another few weeks, because we are still knee-deep in the dead at KPDZ and ready for another terrorizing treat. It's a full moon out there tonight, so my hopes are high. We've got our next caller on the line, Taylor, who says she's got one hell, no pun intended, of a tale to tell. Hello? Hello, Taylor. You're on the air with DJ Bad Kermit. Wow. Thank you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Really? That's wonderful. No, not really. It's just... I'm about to do something incredibly reckless, and I'm scared. Needed someone to talk to. I didn't think anyone would believe me, but my boyfriend... Ex-boyfriend, I guess, was really into your show. Said all kinds of weirdos would call during Halloween and tell you these outlandish stories about ghosts and killers and mutant chickens, shit like that. Figured if no one believes me anyways, at least I can tell my story. Maybe someone will get a kick out of it. Maybe someone will remember me. Well, that does sound ominous. Uh, What are you about to do that is incredibly reckless? I'm going to kill a werewolf. Well, I can't see why anyone wouldn't believe that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a convincing storyteller. It's been rough lately. Well, I'm not saying I don't believe you. I know sometimes life surprises you and monsters are definitely real. I mean, you know, just look at the 2016 election. That's a politics joke. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't old enough to vote, and politics aren't my thing. Well, how old are you? 20. Only 20 years old, and you're already bagging your first werewolf. Your parents must be ecstatic. As much as I enjoy being mocked, I have to admit I was hoping you'd be a little more open to hearing what I have to say. I'm, I'm sorry, Taylor. You have to understand, I get a lot of calls like this, and I'm not exactly the believer type, but I legitimately do want to hear your story, so I'm going to shut up and just give you the floor. Where do I start? Most people start from the beginning. Like when I was born? Well, 
probably not that far back. We only have so much airtime, and I don't think it's enough to cover 20 years. How about you start with what led you to killing a werewolf tonight? I am starving for context. I guess it started when I graduated high school. Well, technically the night before I graduated high school. First off, I need you to understand that I've never been normal. I've been on medications since my teens for anxiety, depression, and what feels like a laundry list of ailments that basically turned me into a charity case in my family. My parents are, were, I guess, well off. Everyone in my family got rich one way or another. We all lived the enviable life of being comfortable and snotty. My older brother had already moved away with his high school model girlfriend and became a successful businessman. Not that he needed to. He could have leached off our family for the rest of his life, but he was an overachiever. My younger brother was already a genius at 10, and my parents, God love them, were hardworking and protective our entire family, especially me. Because then there was me. The one that relatives always asked about, that teachers had to have conferences for because they were concerned for my mental well-being. They said I was a liar. I made things up for attention. None of them realized I didn't always lie for the sake of lying. Sometimes I really didn't believe the things I said. Dad always told me my heart was in the right place, but my brain, not so much. Because I had worked really hard and overcame my considerable issues, my parents decided to celebrate my graduation by throwing a party and inviting everyone in our bloodline who were all too happy to come and congratulate and gossip about me. I was actually pretty proud of myself. I was starting to put together what you might call a normal life. I had a boyfriend I loved that accepted me for who I was, flaws and all. I was going to start college in the fall. My parents offered to pay for the classic European trip before starting, but I was just so excited to feel normal and do normal things that I poured my time and attention to the next chapter of my life. But not that day. I had to endure the day before my graduation. Mom told me that this was mandatory. I had to mingle. She said that after this, I would be a free woman and I'd never have to see any of these people again if I didn't want to. It was the best deal I ever made. That's understandable. I I had a family once. It was awful. Had to change my identity to escape from them. Did you know my real name isn't even Kermit? Isn't that like a Pixar dragon or something? Just go on with your story. All right. This is where it starts to get a little dark. It was late in the afternoon when all the family left, and it was just me and my parents and little brother. We were winding down after the party in the living room. We were spread out across the room, sharing old memories, mostly about me. It felt very normal. I never realized how much I wanted that. While we were talking, we heard a knock at the door. We all kind of froze in place and looked at each other, because that was unusual. We lived down an old road that wound through the trees and up to our house. It wasn't a short walk. We didn't get many visitors. My father opened the door and I felt a chill go through my body. It was windy that day. 
And before anyone could say anything, I remember just listening to the howling coming from outside. Black clouds were starting to roll in, and I could smell rain. I had anxiety anyways, but something about that moment put me on edge in a way I hadn't felt before. And uh, who was at your door? Someone trying to say something? No, I wish. His name was Justin. He didn't look particularly threatening or anything. A little taller than average. Thin, short hair, very basic. I wouldn't have been able to pick him out of a lineup, not if it weren't for what happened that night. What did happen that night? But definitely, keep us in suspense. Something awful. Something that burned itself into my memories and left me a living ghost. He told us he'd been hiking across the state after the loss of his girlfriend and asked if he could take shelter from the coming storm. My mother was cautious, but my dad was a bleeding heart. He had more money than he ever needed, but never let it corrupt his humanity. He not only let Justin come in, he offered him a spot at the dinner table. My mom gave him the side eye, but dad was adamant. Justin ate dinner with us and told us about his journey. He started a few weeks beforehand after the death of his girlfriend, Anna. Apparently, they used to backpack through the countryside together. It all sounded very romantic until one night when something awful happened to her. He wouldn't say what. In fact, even talking about it looked uneasy for him. It seemed like he loved her very much, and whatever happened had traumatized him. He even got all teary-eyed when he talked about her. The loss had hit him hard. And one day he decided to just take a hike and try to figure out where to go next after losing her. He didn't seem like a bad guy, but I would have never let a stranger sleep in our family home. Well, your family let him stay the night? Yep. They wanted to be kind. I didn't know at the time that the next time I saw them would be the last. You said this is where it starts to get dark. Are you sure you're okay to talk about it? Oh, yeah. The pills I'm on and the shit I've seen left me numb. Mostly. Let's talk about it. We said our goodnights later that evening went to our rooms. I was exhausted after entertaining all day and just wanted to watch some YouTube and fall asleep extra early. Mom and Dad would read before bed. My brother would play Xbox until midnight if they let him. I told my parents I loved them and made sure to tell my little brother I didn't love him. He said it back. It was our thing. I tried not to stare at Justin as I went upstairs to my room. He was settling in on the couch downstairs. He was polite, seemed harmless enough, but there was something hiding behind those sad eyes. I didn't know what at the time. And even if I had, I don't know what I could have done to stop what happened next. I fell asleep early. I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, but that night I jerked out of bed to the sounds of my brother screaming. It was a tortured scream, like the desperate cries of someone being torn apart. I was confused, my eyes were burning, but instinctively I ran out of my room towards his. I saw my brother lying helplessly at the end of the hall. His clothes were shredded, there was blood all over the ground. He looked up at me and I saw his flash going down the left side of his face. One of his eyes had fallen out of the socket, and it was hanging there like a paddle ball on a string. I thought he was dead, but he looked up at me with his other eye and mouthed something to me. I don't know what he said, 
but that's when I noticed the huge shadow looming over his body. I couldn't make out what it was because it seemed to swallow all of the light around it. It just gobbled it up like a starving beast. I swear it looked back at me for a moment and all I could see were these glowing eyes and all of the black. Whatever it was disappeared around the corner and dragged what was left of my brother with it. His screams went silent and were replaced with it sounded like crunching bones. I looked towards my parents' room to see my father laying at the door. The rest of him was near the bed, near what was left of my mother, who was spread out across her side of the room in a few different places. I didn't know what to do. There were a hundred different things that ran through my head constantly that could go wrong and rob me of this normal life I had started to build for myself. Admittedly, I didn't see this one coming. I ran for the attic. I pulled the string and the ladder slid out. Every second I was sure this thing was going to come back around the corner and drag me off into hell too. I could hear it still feasting on my little brother's body, so I hurried up the ladder and pulled the string up with me. I hid there all night, clenching my eyes so tightly together that they hurt. I couldn't hear those awful sounds anymore. It was quiet up there, and I was left with my thoughts. I cried for my family. I wondered how I was ever going to get out of there alive. And I couldn't erase the image of my brother's face before he was pulled away into the night. And I was still trying to figure out what he mouthed at me. Not that it mattered. I was sure he was dead. They were all dead. It was when I realized the gravity of the situation that I heard it. This piercing howl broke the silence. It was deafening. And I swear it shook the house itself. Or at least I think it did. You know how sometimes you're not sure if you're remembering something correctly, or if your mind has warped it over time? Either way, eventually I passed out from fear and exhaustion. And that was the last time I ever saw my family. Jesus Christ, you weren't lying about it getting dark. Oh, no, that's just the setup for the real story. You know what drives me crazy about horror movies? They show you the blood and the end and the immediate aftermath. They don't usually explain to you what happens in the long term to these characters that went through this insane experience. They don't show you the moments where the people who love them don't believe them. They don't tell you all about the questions and the procedure or talk about how you relive the nightmare over and over again. I woke up the next day to an empty house. All that was left of my family were bloodstains and broken furniture. I called the police and told them about the monster. You can probably imagine how that went. Then came the investigations and the questions and the scandal about the missing family and their suspicious daughter. They went digging into my history, found all the skeletons. They found all the things I tried my best to hide so that I could have my normal life. I went from the victim to the suspect. Suddenly, I was the troubled daughter with mental illness who made up a story about a monster to cover up the fact that she murdered her family for inheritance. That's the story they told. That's what brought in the most clicks. Responsibility in journalism is a whole other kind of horror. 
I am legitimately sorry that you went through that. They never found their bodies. What was left of my extended family abandoned me. My boyfriend broke up with me. I lost everything. And after weeks and months of the same questions and the same accusations, after the media lost interest and moved on to the next story, I was left all alone. Just me and this horrible memory that everyone tried their best to convince me wasn't real. Like I was trying to detach myself from reality that I was a murderer. There was no life for me. Not anymore. I was going to be forever known as a monster. But the real monster was still out there somewhere, and I dedicated what was left to my so-called life to finding it. I took every dollar my family had left me and used it to hunt it down. I paid for private investigators. I bribed the police. I exploited every resource I could to find the man that wound up at our door that night my life was taken from me. Well, you never thought that maybe Justin was also killed by this creature you saw? Not for a moment. I know it was him. I found an article on the local news site talking about the night he and his girlfriend were attacked by some animal. They said it was a bear. She was mauled to death, and they said he was lucky to make it out alive with just some scratches and a nasty bite on his leg. All of this happened the night of a full moon, before my father took in the stray. He only spent a few days in the hospital before checking himself out. He was a remarkably fast healer. He started his cross-country trek in the name of his beloved Anna not long after. His trail was already cold when I started my hunt. But in my research, I found the strange story of a large wolf spotted in a different area every full moon. I followed the bloody trail of missing people until the stories ran dry near Mystic, Connecticut. One of the people I hired to find Justin sent me a picture of someone at the bar in the same area. He had a beard now and definitely looked worse for wear, but it was him. I must have thrown up at least three times when I knew I'd finally found him. I sold everything I could. I left the family home to rot in a forest, and I got there as quickly as I could. I didn't want him to slip through my fingers again. I lived out of my car while watching him for the first few days. He had a routine same bar every night. He would go in, get pissed drunk, and stagger away in an alley and off in the woods. He had a place out there, just a small shack, nothing fancy. There was nothing on his walls, no pictures of his family, no art, no Anna. He had a television, a chair, and a bed. He had a job as a delivery man, and all he seemed to do was work and drink. Whether he was haunted by what he had done or just chose to live a shitty existence, I couldn't say, and I don't really care. I set up shop in an abandoned building in town. Wait, you set up shop? What do you mean by that? Easy. We'll get there. Have you ever been to Mystic? It's beautiful. Romantic. Magical if you catch it at the right time. Even beautiful towns abandon their children, and I found somewhere no one would find us. Us? I remember waking up in my car to a cough the day I finally went through with it. I was getting chilly in Connecticut, but sacrifices had to be made. I drank some water, I ate some leftover fast food, and I got ready for the night. I put on more makeup that day than I probably had in my entire life. I showed up at his favorite bar in the sluttiest thing I'd ever worn. 
Here I was, less than a year removed from what should have been the start of my new normal life, and instead of studying in college, I was dressed like a hooker in Connecticut trying to seduce a monster. They don't warn you about that shit in high school. I watched him at the end of the bar, knocking back drink after drink. He looked so fucking pathetic. He didn't talk to anyone. He didn't glance at the women dancing. He stared into his glass like it was some kind of trance. My heart was pounding, so I swallowed my courage and a few shots of tequila, and I finally made my move. I approached him with the kind of swagger I learned from watching much sexier women on TikTok. I asked him if he'd buy me a drink, but he declined. I asked him if he wanted some company, and he flat out said no. He never looked at me. I know I was there to kill him, but in the moment I actually felt offended by his rejection. I was never the most attention-grabbing girl growing up. I had my share of admirers, but I never made a show of it. I was always happy, keeping to myself, but in the moment I realized I had no real idea how to get a guy's attention. Finally, I thought, fuck it, and I leaned directly into his face, my breast nearly falling out of my shirt and my ass definitely exposed to everyone behind me. I asked him if he wanted to fuck me, and he finally looked up. When his eyes met mine, I thought my heart was going to explode. I tried to look seductive, but I know I must have looked terrified instead. He stood up, threw some money on the table, told me to go home, and he walked away. I stood there and felt like a goddamn fool. People in the bar were snickering and glaring at me. I think every negative thought I ever had came back to me all at once. My hands were shaking. I wanted to scream out loud, but years of keeping yourself calm to appear normal helped me stay silent. Instead, I decided to go to plan B. Always have a plan B. What was plan B? My car was parked in the back alley. I followed him. I got a crowbar from my car and smashed it in the back of his head. I wanted to crush his skull right then and there but I somehow managed to calm myself enough to stuff his body in my trunk and drive away before anyone caught me. Okay, so I feel like I should ask you, at what point should I stop this story and call the police? You said you wanted scary, right? It's just getting to the good part. (laughs) I'll allow it. I drove him back to that abandoned building where I kept my tools. I tied him to a chair and just stared at him. I had this all thought out, but the moment I was face to face with this monster, I started to panic. I started to ask myself, what was I doing? And is this really who I wanted to be? I didn't have to think long. Thankfully, as he started to wake up. We locked eyes again, and before either of us had a chance to say anything, I finally gave into the rage. I started to hit him over and over again. I'm not the toughest person in the world, but there was nothing he could do but sit there and take it. I hit him until my hands felt like they were going to break. When I finally exhausted myself, I shoved a rag into his mouth and left him there to bleed. I went out to my car and cried until I passed out. The next day, I went to a local store to buy food. I couldn't stop thinking about what I'd done. I hadn't showered. My hair looked ratty. My hands were red and tender. I noticed a girl watching me, so I quickly paid for my stuff and left. 
I made it around the side of the building before the emotions caught up to me and I started crying again. My emotions hadn't been this uncontrollable since before I started taking my medication. Although, in honesty, I hadn't taken my pills for a while now. The same girl from inside followed me and caught me in tears. She asked if I was okay and introduced herself. Her name was Kalia, and she worked at the local safe house for women. I guess I looked like the type. I tried to make up an excuse for my appearance, but she was very sweet and understanding. She handed me a card to the safe house and told me if I need anything to come visit her. Talking to her made me feel warm on the inside for the first time in a long time. She seems like a genuinely good person. She was. I went back to Justin. He was awake and looked so scared. I smiled at him, and it was the first genuine smile I can remember since that night. Seeing him afraid made me feel even better than Kalia did. I started making him a sandwich with the groceries I bought and carried on a one-sided conversation about my day. He looked confused, so I took the rag out of his mouth and asked him if he remembered me. He said he had no clue who I was in this desperate and exasperated voice. I got close to him. My face was inches away from him, and I asked him to look again. He stared at me for a second and then tried to struggle out of the ropes, tying him to the chair. He screamed at me, I don't know who the fuck you are, you crazy bitch. And well, I kind of lost it again. My hands hurt too bad from the night before, so I grabbed a broken wooden plank from nearby and I hit him in the head with it. I smacked him in the face with it over and over again and yelled back, You don't remember the face of the person you took everything from? I didn't want to hurt him too badly, so I stopped myself. We both kind of sat there in silence for a few minutes. My heart felt like it was going to rip in half, but his face looked like tenderized meat, so I guess we were even. Then I told him my story. I told him who I was and about the life I once had. I told him everything. The boyfriend, college, the family that loved me and stood by me when so many others pushed me to the side and labeled me as problematic. And then I told him about the day he came to my doorstep and waking up that night to see him slaughter my little brother. I asked him, do you remember me now, motherfucker? He might have been trying to think of something to say, but he was pretty hard to read with all the blood and swelling. He told me he had no clue what I was talking about and that I had the wrong person. He cried. He begged. He made me sick to my stomach. While he sat there sobbing, I laid my tools out on a nearby table for him to see. Uh, You mentioned tools before. What the hell are you talking about with tools? Tools. You know. For torture. You tortured him? I tortured the shit out of him. Some of the things I did I picked up from some of my favorite movies, like Swimming with Sharks. 
really underappreciated gem that kind of got ruined with the whole Kevin Spacey thing happened. But it did give me some great ideas. I gave him paper cuts on his face and then poured lemon juice in them. Some stuff I just made up as I went, and over the next two weeks I got very creative. I taped his eyelids open for hours. I put his, pulled his fingernails off with pliers. I pushed his chair backwards and waterboarded him. Of course I broke fingers and toes one by one. I mean, you can't beat the classics. I was even kind enough to shave him with a relatively dull knife, no shaving cream, of course. I ripped the hair from his head piece by piece. I made sure to show his reflection every day so he could see all the things I did to him. I wanted to push him to the point he wanted to die, but I wasn't going to kill him. Not yet. When I wasn't having fun with Justin, I actually spent a lot of time with Kalia. It may not sound like it, but all of this took a pretty heavy toll on me mentally. It was nice to have someone to talk to. She was an angel. She was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. And even though she was only a year older than me, she spoke with a kind of maturity I longed for. We would go for walks and talk about our lives. I told her how I'd lost my family, but I left out the parts about the werewolf. She told me about her dad, who apparently was some hard-ass retired cop. Her mom was murdered in front of her when she was a kid, and they never caught the guy. She wanted to help others to help cope with the pain she felt the loss for her mom. I admired her. She took her pain and used it to help others. I wasn't so kind with my pain. She was a better person than me. She deserved better. I don't think I like where this story is going, or where it's been, for that matter. We're almost at the end, I promise. I was not Kalia. I could not be Kalia. And all of the optimism and kindness she displayed couldn't change my mind. But even though we were very different, I felt the bond with her unlike any other I had forged. We only knew each other for less than two weeks, but I can honestly say she was my friend and I loved her. I thought she understood me like no one else ever had, including the boy I was very much in love with before. I thought I could tell her anything. And so one day I brought Kalia back to Justin. I told her not to freak out and I would explain everything. The moment she saw him tied to the chair with his bloody disfigured face, she screamed. I tried to calm her down. I told her what actually happened to my family. I told her about how he took them from me and that he wasn't a person. He was a creature of evil. I told her I could prove it to her. We were only a day away from the next full moon. I begged her to stay with me and watch him transform into the werewolf and then we could kill him together. He was just like the monster that took her mom from her, except this time we could have our revenge. I pleaded with her, but she just stared at him with those same empathetic eyes and looked at me with when she found me crying. She started to back away from me and put her hands over her mouth. She didn't say anything. She started to walk away, and I blurted out, I love you. She stopped and finally looked at me. My relief was short-lived, though. She didn't tell me she loved me, too. She didn't tell me she believed me. You know what she said? Taylor, you're sick. You need help. I'm going to call my father. He can help you. 
She pulled the phone from her pocket and ran her fingers across the screen. I thought I knew suffering. I was bullied by other kids when I was younger for being mentally ill. I watched my fucking family get carved up by a goddamn werewolf. But hearing those words, being denied the love that I offered her, seeing the judgment in her eyes, that was the worst pain I have ever felt. I wanted her to be part of my new life. Taylor and Kalia, monster killers! I was such an idiot. And then I realized she was going to ruin everything. She would deny me and then take Justin away from me too. She was going to steal my revenge. It was my revenge. I earned it. I went through so much to get to this moment and I wasn't going to let anyone take it away from me, not even Kalia. I grabbed the hammer off the table and chased after her. She turned around as I swung it first time. It hit her in the side of the head and she fell onto her back. I thought I'd kill her, but she started twitching. I was so scared. I wanted to drop down beside her and beg her forgiveness. I know I had just attacked her, but I felt like I could still fix things somehow. I, I could help her and kill him. I loved her. I felt it inside. She was my light. She was my only friend. She looked at me with tears streaming down her face. She said she wanted to go home. She cried out for her father. I, I couldn't fix this. I lifted the hammer again and brought it down as hard as I could on her face again and again and again. And every time I hit her, I got angrier and angrier. She was supposed to love me. She was supposed to be there for me like I would be there for her. She didn't need her father because she had me. We had each other. But she was going to betray me and she was going to steal the only thing I had from me. My revenge. My only reason for living. I hit her in the face with the hammer until she didn't have a face anymore. I was covered in blood and bits of tissue. I turned around to face Justin. His eyes were wide. I had tortured him before, but I think this was the first time he realized he was going to die. He's hung his head and sobbed. I told him that tomorrow we would finally put an end to all this. And here we are. The end of the story. All right, Taylor, listen to me. Now, I get a lot of crazy calls for our Hollow's Eve tales. Some I can tell are stories crafted by pretty creative listeners, and some are so convincing that even I start to question if they're real or not. But I need you to tell me the truth. Is this real? Not the werewolf stuff, because I think you and I both know that that is bullshit. But the other stuff, Kalia, Justin, all of that. Is that real? I knew you wouldn't believe me, but that's okay. I didn't call for validation. I just wanted someone to hear the truth because I'm sure they'll all spin it again. The girl who murdered her family claims another two lives. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because not long from now, Justin is going to transform and I'm going to put a silver bullet right between his eyes. You hear me, Justin? Once I see you for what you really are, I'm going to murder you like you murdered my family. I got one more bullet for me. I'll lay down next to Kalia and end this nightmare once and for all. Gotta go. Full moon's rising. Happy Halloween, everyone. 
Hallow's Eve Tales is a production of Podzilla 1985. Sheep's Clothing was created and written by Shannon Young and voiced by Casper, Shannon Young, and Lindsay Wolfgong. Catch every episode of this seasonal series as well as the full slate of Podzilla podcasts like PZ85 Plays, After Dark, and more at podzilla1985.com or on your favorite podcasting service. Seriously, Mark, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Are you even screening these calls anymore? I get it, man. It's been an exceptionally weird year, but we need to get a couple of these in the can to fill the downtime. You up for one more tonight? Yeah, I guess. Just make sure that last one didn't kill anybody, please. Sooner or later, I'm going to end up being treated as an accomplice to one of these things. Oh, Mark, you okay in there, buddy? There you are. Here I am. Who are you? <laughs> you wouldn't believe me if I told you. The irony. Look, dude. This has been a really fucking bizarre month for me, and I'm not in the mood to deal with your cryptic bullshit. So why don't you just tell me about how a killer doll murdered your little brother, or aliens took over your hometown, or whatever stupid-ass thing you want to know? How the world ends? God damn it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Let's stay on the line. I'm gonna be here for a while. And get a pen. You wanna write this down?